0: Welcome to God's Acre On The Go, a worship podcast of the Congregational Church of New Canaan in New Canaan, Connecticut. To learn about the life of our church, our in-person ministries, and the virtual connections and offerings available, please visit us at www.godsacre.org. Now, wherever you are, wherever you are going, we welcome you to worship.
1: Church family, this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to God's Acre on the Go. Uh, So glad to have you with us wherever you are, wherever you're traveling, whatever you're doing. Uh, Glad to have you tuning in. We're going to focus today on the story, uh, the parable Jesus told uh, about the Pharisee and the tax collector, and we're going to kind of think a little bit about how we draw close to the Lord, how, how we enter the Lord's presence based on that story. But before we get there, I want you just to settle in and enjoy our anthem uh, sung uh, by Ellie Parkhill, Come As You Are.
0: Come out of sadness from wherever you
1: We've had that song from Elian here a time or two, but it's just one of my favorites. Um, So we are going to take some time to look at this scripture this morning. Um, It's the parable, as I said, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, And this is what it says. It's in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. It says, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Jesus said, two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven. But he was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified. That means, justified means being made right with God. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. But all who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of God for the people of God. Let's uh, take a a moment and pray together. Uh, Lord God, We thank you for your word. We thank you for how your word calls us forth in life. Uh, And we pray that the word this morning would allow us to be called into your presence. And we ask for that blessing. We ask for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you long, like really long for a closer relationship with God? You know, a more palpable sense of the divine in your life. Do you, do you kind of want or long for or desire a, a felt connection with the Lord? Uh, I'm going to bet uh, all of us do to de, de varying degrees. Uh, maybe that's what's got you listening to this podcast, uh, whether it's this morning or whatever time of day you happen to be tuning in. Um, and the truth is that internal longing, it's, it's, not, it's not merely for a sermon, or for an anthem, or for a prayer. No, I think that longing is for a brush of intimacy with the one in whom, as the Apostle Paul wrote, in the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And it's not an easy task. You know, truth be told, we we worship, as the hymn says, this immortal, invisible God, and, and sometimes, perhaps oftentimes, immortal and invisible also seems completely elusive and inaccessible. I mean, there's some people who, who I know, they claim to have this intimate and unwavering connection with the Lord. But for many of us, you know, that, that tether can feel just a little bit more tenuous. Like the, the father who petitioned Jesus to heal his son, uh, he said, I, I believe, help my unbelief. And maybe that's what we say a time or two ourselves. We believe, but Lord God, help us in our unbelief. So if you, if you do long for a closer connection with God, what lengths would you be willing to go to establish it? Would you travel nearly halfway around the world to stand at the base of an enormous limestone wall built by King Herod the Great more than 2,000 years ago? Would you tuck your most fervent prayers written on a scrap of paper into the crevices of those ancient stones? Would you be willing to go to that length to pray to the Lord, to have your prayers heard, maybe to have your prayers answered I've done it. Many many, uh, church members now have visited the Western Wall many times. I I was there earlier this week, um, and I realize it's kind of extreme if you think about it. It's a long, long, long way to go to offer a prayer or two, or in my case, this past week, three. But, you know, this week I noticed that ours was not the most elaborate attempt to establish union with Yahweh, not by a long shot. See, Tammy and I unwittingly made our way to Jerusalem during the Jewish celebration of Sukkot. Uh, It's also referred to in the Bible as the festival of booths or the festival of tabernacles. It's this eight-day Jewish celebration that's observed each fall uh, to thank God for the harvest and to remember the 40 years when the Hebrew people lived in tents in the wilderness before being allowed to enter the promised land, the land of Canaan which incidentally we learned we've been pronouncing incorrectly uh, all this time. Uh, uh, the correct pronunciation is not uh, Canaan, it is Canaan. So uh, I don't know, maybe it doesn't really rung off, ring, roll off the tongue all that easily, but maybe we're the Congregational Church of New Canaan. Um, don't worry, I won't try to press that one, but uh, we found that out this past week. Um, the festival is truly something to see. It's uh, as if the entire holy city of Jerusalem is celebrating. And, and you've got all these tent-like structures uh, uh, erected everywhere, inside side yards, on top of buildings, uh, beside restaurants adjacent to hotels, even on kind of public promenades. Uh, there are these structures where Jews gather to eat and pray and sing and sing and eat and pray for eight straight days nonstop. Uh, a few of those days are observed like Sabbath, so, so no work's done, which means that Jerusalem kind of shuts down except for all the Arab Israelis who are still, thankfully, out and about working and keeping a few restaurants open for hungry tourists like us. Uh, Sukkot is all about remembering God's goodness and, and making a concerted effort to enter into God's presence by following God's commands. And, and, and one, of the commands, uh, one of the commands that is followed is this. Uh, each morning, and this is in the Bible, Each morning during the celebration of Sukkot, Jews take a stalk of palm leaves and willow branches and myrtle branches held together by woven leaves. Uh, And then they also take a large lemon-like fruit that's grown in Israel, the name of which I still can't pronounce. They hold their branches in their right hand, and they hold the lemon in the left, and then they say this traditional blessing. Uh, Blessed are you, ruler of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us concerning the taking of the palm branch. And then they shake the branches and the lemons. They shake it in six directions, north, south, east, west, up, and then down. And this symbolizes God's presence being everywhere. Now, some of these Jewish groups repeat the whole shaking, uh, directional shaking, uh, going the opposite way. And then some, for some reason, even kiss the lemon when it's done. Now, this tradition may seem odd to us, but it is in the Bible, as I said. It's in Leviticus. And for observant Jews, it's just one of many things folks do to be faithful, to give thanks to God, to draw closer to the Lord. And I'm told that it can work, you know. It can work to some degree. And if efforts to shake palm branches and lemons and efforts to make pilgrimages to the Holy Land get people closer to God, then you know what? maybe we've got to dig a little deeper work a little harder maybe flex our spiritual muscles a bit more so we can kind of force our way into god's presence now honestly th- there is something really spiritually profound that can happen or that can be experienced when we when we walk where jesus walked where we and when we pray where jesus prayed but in truth you know that that's just a heck of a lot of effort to make when access to God is actually closer to us than our own breathing. Now, I want to pause for a moment and ask you to consider who you think Jesus is telling this particular parable against. Um, Who is Jesus taking aim at in the story? Do you remember? Did you catch it? I mean, the story is called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, so you, you might think that might give it away, and you might be tempted to think that Jesus is taking a shot directly at the Pharisees. The Pharisees, who were not only the rule followers in Jesus' day, but they were also the local rule enforcers. And and you read the Gospels, Jesus always did seem to be doing battle with this particular group of religious leaders. However, and I've said this in the past, and it's just important to bear in mind, the Pharisees were not bad people. They were middle-class Jews who believed that the fate of the entire Jewish people, the entire nation of Israel, rested on Hebrew devotion to the law of the Lord. Uh, The idea was that if if the Hebrew people could just do better, life would get better. Uh, If if the Jews could be faithful, maybe Rome and Roman occupation could be expelled. I mean, that was the thinking. And honestly, it's not all that different from how many of us view life. We really do believe that the harder we work, we should uh, expect to do better. And, And it's not an entirely inaccurate life or faith philosophy. It's this idea of working our way toward salvation, and, and the Bible affirms that. The Old Testament affirms that. Jesus backs off that idea quite a bit, but it still shows up here and there in the New Testament. Now, Jesus didn't exactly nor entirely object to this way of practicing faith, but he was aware of the peril of trying to justify, and to justify again means to make yourself right. He he was aware of the peril of trying to justify yourself in the presence of God. Now, Jesus didn't tell this parable uh, against the Pharisees, not exactly. Um, There are parables where Jesus aims directly at these religious adversaries, but this is not one. It says, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. So Jesus told a parable that was intended to confront those who trusted in themselves while having contempt for others. And that might have included a number of Pharisees, for sure, but probably not all of them. I mean, think about it. Do you happen to know anyone who trusts in themselves? Do you know anyone who believes that they're right most of the time? Do you know anyone who might look down on others with a degree of contempt from time to time? Or perhaps, you know, it's just better asked in the reverse. Do you know anyone who doesn't believe in themselves? You know, in this divided and divisive age, do you know anyone who doesn't look with contempt upon others? You know, you, the truth is you, you don't get to where we are. You don't get to where we are without having some ability and trusting in those abilities, having confidence in your abilities. That's how you get ahead and get to where we are in life. See, I think Jesus was challenging people who trusted that they could enter the presence of God and God's good graces by working really hard at the task while also uh, looking on those that didn't put forth that kind of effort with contempt and disdain. Now, with that said, I'm going to bet that there were a whole host of Jews, many Pharisees included, who Jesus didn't take issue with. I mean, there must have been plenty of Hebrew people who tried to shake the branches and the lemon in just the right direction but didn't entirely trust they were doing it right or that it mattered all that much to God. And there were likely plenty of good, honest Pharisees who had compassion, deep compassion for people who struggled to get life and faith right. And I don't think Jesus here was belittling religious practice and devotion, not at all. I'm certain Jesus would have encouraged, like the two men in this story, would have encouraged people to go to the temple to pray. Jesus, no, he took issue with people who lacked religious humility. That's what's at issue here. You know, he he took issue with people who are not particularly charitable to others. You know, feeling personally or religiously or morally superior and looking down on others with disdain. That's what Jesus has an issue with. That's spiritually perilous. I mean, make as many trips to the holy land as you want. Shake branches and lemons every which way, but without humility, without a little bit of charity, you're not going to get all that far with our Lord. Now, the, the good news is that the closeness we desire with God and, and, and the justification that being made right with God that can be offered to us does not come from vigorously shaking palm leaves nor making grand pilgrimages. No, intimacy with the Lord comes through honesty and humility. Now, I, I know we all like to think of ourselves as good people, or at least we try to put on a pretty darn good show for others. But deep down, you know, we know better we know our thought life is not particularly pure. We know our best intentions don't always translate into right action. We know that, that we're often one misfortune or one frustration away from blaming God or lashing out at others for some reason or another. And we, we have our moments when the divine spark within us shines brightly, but there are other moments where we don't radiate much light at all. You know, the, the best and fastest and easiest way to the intimacy we seek with God is to be humble, is to be honest. It's to pray the prayer of the tax collector God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, honest to God, that, that's the most uh, expedient way to the faith connection most of us seek, and it works. You know, pour your heart out to the Lord, be honest, speak, or, or, or just whisper whisper the good, the bad, and the ugly of your life to the Lord. Allow the prayer of confession we use in church to be your starting point. Humble yourself before the Lord. Drop, drop the pride and the desire to impress and choose to get real with God. I mean, think of our memory verse uh, from Proverbs this month. Uh, it, it's the same principle. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and do not rely on your own insight. You know, Jesus, remember, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves and regarded others with contempt. Now, you don't need to air your dirty laundry for all to see in here. No, no, no. That's not what we're getting at here. The tax collector made his confession, remember, from a distance and without even raising his eyes from his shoe tops. You want your, your faith to rise? Well, you know what? What Jesus is saying here is then humble yourself before God. Be honest. And you do that, you'll be exalted. You'll be elevated. You'll be raised up into the presence of God. Now, Uh, in closing, and I'm going to wrap it up. I I want you to know that I'm not trying to malign Sukkot rituals or pilgrimages to the Holy Land. Traditions and trips like those really can be spiritually uplifting if done with appropriate reverence and humility. But what I want to do is just share a final example because I actually do believe that offering prayers at the Western Wall is one of the most faith-connecting activities a person can engage in. You know, there's just an undeniable connection that one feels there Uh, perhaps it's the place itself the history of it or the zillions of prayers that have been prayed there uh, over so many years or the millions of prayers that you can literally see tucked in like mortar in between all the stones themselves but I think for me it's the honesty it's the humility of prayer that that often affects me in that place See, when you go to the Western Wall to pray, it, it takes some time and effort to find a spot at the wall. It really does because it's a, it's a, it's a busy and crowded place. And, and when you finally get to the stones, when you finally touch them, you, you don't feel like you can loiter there indefinitely. No, you need to get right down to business. So prayers, at, at least mine, tend to be pretty darn concise, direct, and honest because you never know if or when you're, you're going to be back. So you don't, you don't tend to waste time on wordy, effusive, frivolous prayers. You know, at the Western Wall, you get honest and humble with God quick. For me, it's something like, Lord, this is how I've screwed up since my last visit. This is what I really want from you. And I, I'm specific. I list them out. But then I say, but not my will, yours be done. And the truth is, we've had a lot of profound experiences and answered prayers from this congregation when we've been at the wall. And, and I, I think it's the honesty, the humility, the vulnerability that makes the connection so palpable. And... Here's the thing, though. Those prayers, those kind of honest, humble prayers, they can be offered from anywhere. Wherever you happen to be seated listening to this podcast right now, at home, at work, at school, anywhere and everywhere. Because as the tradition of shaking branches and and lemons in all different directions attests, God is everywhere. We just need to be willing to let down our guard. We need to be willing to pour out our heart. So that there is room, that there's space for God to enter in. Let's pray. Um, Lord God, we want to be honest, direct, and humble with you. Um, We might only whisper it, but we will speak the truths of our lives uh, where we ache, where we break, where we've broken others, how we've done harm. We're going to be honest with you, Lord, because in that honesty, in that vulnerability, We often find our closest and most intimate connection with you, which is what we want. That connection is what we long for. So we pray that as we pour out our heart to you, you would enter into us in ways that uh, elevate our spirit and raise our faith. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So church family, as you go out into the week ahead, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with kindness and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for Worship on the Go. To support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please consider making a contribution by clicking the Give button in the top right on our website, www.GodsAker.org, or within today's email. God bless you and have a wonderful week.